Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this episode. BQE Core is the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Learn more at bqe.com. So, so Cormac, I, I'm coming to you live from a, a wireless connection to satellites in space. Uplink, downlink, all the links. It's pretty incredible. Final, final, final frontier. Don't get me started. Final tears. I would would start nerding out on the new Star Trek uh, TV show, but it's not. Oh, okay. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah. So, uh, so trying out Starlink, the SpaceX internet connectivity setup, and uh, working remotely this week, and I'm pretty happy with it so far. It, it does need a clear view of the sky, which I don't always have when you're, when you're out in the, in the free world, but um, in the wild, but um, for the times when I do, or when the satellite is in a, a clear view, you know, location in the sky, it's, it's pretty incredible to get the, the internet speed that I do get both down and up. So that, that's pretty cool. So I, I won't say that I'm jealous, but the word that I'm thinking of sounds a whole lot like jealous. So let's just call it jealous. <laughs> I can't think of the word exactly. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it's just like, you know, that's, that really is the the dream of like pure mobility. Just And, and I know what you're doing. I don't know if you want to share with the listeners or not, but what what's awesome about it and just the fact that you know you've gone from southern california and you're you know on a road trip and in a couple of days you're going to be in a glacier national park and just all of these places but you're still working and you're still able to work and still be able to enjoy and, and everything else and just that like sense of freedom of being able to like operate wherever And we've talked about, like, what does the future office look like? Well, it may not be for everybody, but what you're doing is an option. It's being totally mobile. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. I mean, I I tell you a little bit about what happens. Like, you, you, some, some people can get Starlink right now, and some people can't. And it really has to do with the saturation in your area. So LA is a highly saturated area, I have to say, and I was not able to get it until maybe late 2023 based on my home address. So, you know, I start like YouTubing this and and trying to figure out what other people are doing. And basically, you know, depending on your quote unquote home base, you can get you can basically jump the line based on the level of saturation or lack of saturation in a given area. So my parents are in Southern Oregon. They bought a piece of property and they're out there right now. And so I used their address. So I cheated, I cheated the system and I, I got it in like three days when I did it like that. So if you have the ability to search other addresses, and you know what, I don't even think it needs to be your address, but what you do need to be able to do is when you activate it for the first time, 
you have to activate it from that location. So I know like this one guy I saw on YouTube, he ordered it in Palm Springs and he doesn't live in Palm Springs, but that's where he was. He's out. He's also out on the road and he used a golf course address to do it. And so he just drove to that golf course after he received it and activated it there. And so what just recently happened was Starlink came out with a thing they call portability, which it basically enables you to roam anywhere with the Starlink setup. And they prioritize roamers lower than people with, with actual addresses. And there are some some caveats to the whole system until until they put more satellites in the sky, right? Um, but so so I do expect this to improve over time. But for those who are roaming, basically it gives you for, I think it's an extra 25 bucks a month. It gives you the ability to basically, you know, live remotely and connect to the internet with high speed data up and down um, and do whatever you want to do. Like, like actually work remotely and not have to be at a Starbucks or at a library or running off a cellular signal. Because a lot of times when you're out in the middle of nowhere, there is no cell signal, right? I've run into this many times. And so previously what a lot of van lifers and RVers were doing was getting cell boosters, but those don't work if there's no cell signal to boost. It, it, it can only amplify what already exists. But they were also basically forced to have all of the different cellular plans. So they had to have a T-Mobile plan. They had to have an AT&T plan. They had to have a Verizon plan. And so Basically depending on jump, where they were from signal to signal, yeah, you know, whoever has the best signal, that's the one you're going to throw into your phone. So you're always swapping SIM cards and doing all this stuff. And that sounded terrible. So this is a pretty cool option. Um, you, you get a dish. I think I can't remember what, what they call it. They, they call it dishy for short, but it's like dishy McDish face kind of a thing. <laughs> Do we call it a dish? Do we call it a dish because it's square? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, a lunch tray shape, right? The old one was was a dish. The, the first version was a round version. Now it's kind of this um, round rectangle. And it's got this motorized, you know, satellite tracking uh, motor in it. So it automatically points it in the right direction. And, uh, you know, you, you get a hard line into the router. And then from the router, you can connect wirelessly. And they also have like an Ethernet adapter if you wanted to plug it into a switch or and connect multiple hard line Ethernet devices so it's pretty sweet i have to say um you know just a couple days into this so far and and it's it's pretty pretty awesome so you know that's so, the update from the road so i just looked and my new address won't be available till 2023 residentially however if i purchased one for um an rv then i can get one now oh Interesting. So that's an op- that was not an option when I ordered. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Nice. Be- before I make a, uh, a fool of myself. <laughs> yep. No. Yes. That's it. It is true. Yeah. I, I have I have verified. I um, I have fifty nine minutes and forty three seconds. Forty two. Forty. No. Yeah. Um, and so to, you can spend seven hundred and fifty dollars or whatever on the hardware. I mean, it's not Six, cheap. Six hundred and eighty seven dollars and ninety four cents. And then the service itself is one hundred and thirty-five dollars a month. Yeah, it's it's one ten if you stay in one location, and it's an additional twenty-five if you want the portability feature. So. so let me ask you this: I mean, say for instance, you are only using Starlink. I don't know, 
maybe you do like one long trip per um per year or something like that in the rv yeah, yeah. you use it for a month can you do you can you only get a an area i mean can you only get like a plan that you only pay one month or are you pretty much locked into the 135 per month service? yeah you can so you can turn it off <laughs> And it is calendar months. So if you're going to okay. start using it toward the end of the month, you would have to probably pay for two months, you know, to do that. But if you're only going to use it during a month, you can just turn on portability for that month and then opt back out of it while you're at home. And so you could totally use this. My plan is to use this as our home internet system as well. And while I'm at home so that I'm not paying, you know, double internet service, um, so we'll see how that goes. I, that's my plan at this point. Here's something interesting. <laughs> and you, you know this. Well, uh, what's interesting is that there's more the, I'm looking at the uh, uh, availability map. And Los Angeles is on a wait list. Then there's like a hand, you know, and as, as you are living it right now, which is kind of interesting. But almost all of the Midwest and East Coast is not in coverage it's on a wait list right now um but pretty much if you were to draw kind of a line that looks like it eh, sort of no not quite follows the mississippi river but let's just say the mississippi river is kind of like the dividing line uh to the if you go to the east coast you know from that line to the east coast it's pretty much not covered at all and on the, you know, from that line to the West is pretty much all covered. Although, uh, I mean, I could at least um, get it to go to the upper peninsula of Michigan. Yay. <laughs> and, and, you know, like they're launching these satellites all the time. And, and what's interesting from the photos that I've seen, and, and I'm just, you know, this is like skimming the headlines of an article. So I, I have not dug deeply into it, but, I've seen a photos and it, and it looks like they take up like two or 300 of these satellites at one time and deploy them. They're very tiny. So um, it's, it basically creates a low orbit. I think they're like geosynchronous. They're kind of staying in a s similar position as the earth spins and they're very small and they kind of cast a net and their, their coverage map looks like hexagons. Right. And each hexagon, I'm assuming, is one satellite. Um, but maybe it's more than that based on, you know, this is the saturation part that I don't fully understand, which is how many people in a given area can have Starlink and still get decent speeds from one satellite? Or is it multiple per per zone? I'm not quite sure how that works yet. But, um, yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. And it's only going to continue to get better over time. Right. They're they're launching these and. and putting filling the space with with space junk satellites that connect global wireless internet for everybody and i'm pretty sure that when musk was talking about this when they started off it's like this is one of the ways they are going to fund the trips to mars they're like we're going to build global wireless satellite internet for everybody and the money that goes into that is going to then fund trips to mars is kind of the idea so they're using this technology to fund other technologies to do other even bigger things. So that $300 billion of personal wealth isn't that's kicking not, in. That, 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 that's not money in the bank. Come on. 
so anyway, there, there's the update. Maybe, maybe future updates in the future. That's where future updates come from. And uh, I will I'll let you know how it goes. But so far, so good. It's pretty cool. You know, one of the, I guess one of the good things is that you're not necessarily, you don't have to worry about doing Revit or anything, but it would be interesting to see how, so like, you know, I have um, a, and see, that's why I need to borrow your rig. Um, <laughs> so I, so just to te- purely testing, not, oh, just you know, for I, testing purposes. Yeah. yeah I, I won't enjoy any of my travels. I will just, it will be pure science. Data well, Cormac, I can spare you because my wife does that. And so you don't have to, you don't even have to burden yourself with this. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, you, you need a, a wider, opinion. exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I want, I'm, I'm curious whether or not it will connect to our, our, our system, our remote system, like, um, and, you know, be able to log into the server and all that other stuff. So there's only one way for me to find out. Which includes you driving to the West Coast, not the other way around, to, uh, to make that happen. Yeah. Um, I, I, say, I say we meet in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I get to show you the wild of Michigan. And, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, then you hand over the keys and I'm good. <laughs> All right, future future updates will be in tow. Sure. <laughs> hey, uh, um, I know that we just you know did a quick update on you know the whole me getting the house, moving thing, and everything else. But I did want to you know just throw one more thing out there. Even though we're living in, and I think I've said this before, a nine hundred and eighty five square foot house. Yeah, that's small. But mm-hmm. and we've been here for fourteen years. My God, we've got a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it's amazing, right? And and I think I think we've mentioned this before, but as much space as you have is you will fill it no matter even if you were to go into like a five thousand square foot house <laughs> for some reason, you would probably fill that too. Like it's just like the normal mode of most people. You see all these pictures of modern architecture and minimalism and and you're always like, Where's their where's their stuff? Because these pictures are not real. They, these people don't have any stuff. Exactly. But yeah, I just, I'm just very, I'm just amazed at how much stuff we have. And then of course, now the question is, is do we really need that stuff? Have you seen that stuff in the 14 years we've been here? Do you still use that stuff? Do you need it? Right. Does it have to come? Because moving stuff is terrible. So it's better to move without it if you don't need it. I totally agree with you. But anyway, yeah, so I just small observation of now the um, moving portion or the packing up portion of this move is just just how amazed gobsmacked I am of how much stuff a small tiny house can actually hold. Yeah, you just accumulate it so slowly over time that you don't even realize it until now you're you're officially a hoarder, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and the interesting thing is, is that obviously we've raised children here, you know, 14 years. And so and my daughter's only 14 years old. So, um, you know, she's all of the toys and everything else. And, you know, you're so reluctant to get rid of the memories. And like, eh, you know, I mean, if they're, wi- if they're willing to part with it, are we? 
you know, my wife's mostly it's my wife. She's just like, we can't get rid of that. Do you remember when they used to play with this? Like, yes. That's awesome. Well, you got to keep a couple of bins of keepsakes, but that's it. You can't, can't keep it all. All right. Well, thanks for the update on that. I think uh, we'll check back in with you to see how many things you put on Craigslist and offer up and give away and all those different things. So we got a, a note from a listener a couple of weeks ago in over the email. We do have a feedback link on our website, arcaspeakpodcast.com slash feedback. And you can send us a note at any time. We love to hear from listeners. And uh, Rob Sparks wrote, Hey guys, I love the podcast and look forward to it every week. This is a great way to start a, a feedback email. This is fantastic. And I'm going to read the whole thing here because I think we've we've got some stuff to riff off of here. It says, I'm not an architect, but I do occasional gig work in 3D and environmental design for games. So I really enjoy the conversations and hearing how you two think things through. One thing struck me from this week's podcast. In the 3D world, there's ample opportunity for not knowing what a component, procedure, or technique is called or how it works. So And so almost any project requires some degree of ex- experimentation and research, as I'm sure you already know. The thing I've found is that in the communities gathered around various tools like Blender, Unreal Engine, etc., it is not uncommon for experienced artists to chastise beginner and intermediate artists for not Googling something on their own before asking for help. It is, in their view, a rite of passage. Come to think of it, this isn't unlike recent conversations you've had about young architects, quote-unquote, paying their dues early on. I know it can be frustrating for experienced artists to feel the same questions again and again, but at the same time, I really appreciate your comments about those with experience taking responsibility for the future of the field and nurturing those who are new. And I'm not especially experienced, but I try to help those newer than me whenever I can. Anyway, I just wanted to add an adjacent experience to your conversation and also say that I'm slightly jealous that someone might just call up and say, what do you call this thing? (laughs) So I thought that was really interesting. And, and, I just think about it with my own kids and how many times have your kids just gone off and done something in some weird, you know, to you way. And you didn't, you just said, why didn't you just ask me first? Yeah. Although I will say what (laughs) I, I, I sort of live by the, both my very first boss out of college, as well as my father who would always say, well, did you look it up first or did you, in my uh, boss's case where he would say, you know, I would come down and I would say, you know, Hey, uh, you tasked me to work through this detail and I, I need some help. And he was just like, well, have you done your research? Have you, you know, looked it up? Have you gone to the manufacturer's websites? Have you done this? Have you done that? Do all of that first, try it, come down and then we'll, we'll walk through it. And the cool thing was, is that he at least let me try the weird way. The, the whatever way, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, what you're talking about with your kids is that, you know, in a way that is unusual or, or weird to like in the normal way of doing things and would let me at least just, you know, trial and error and then come down and we would sit there and we would walk through it and all that other stuff. Now I'm a little bit different than that where um, I will, you know, task somebody out with doing something in the office and, knowing that they may not necessarily know, but I do want to let them try. But I'm always, always, always right there. Like, you know, just uh, 
when I'm tasking them, I'm like, please, if you have any questions, if you're unsure of how to do this task, don't just sit there and spin your wheels and, you know, try to, you know, figure it out through osmosis, but, you know, try to come to me and let me know if you've got any questions, just, just come to me and we'll walk through and I'll tell you how to do it, but also like the why we're doing it and, you know, show you examples and everything else. And basically kind of like, you know, be that bit of encyclopedia of like, okay, I asked you to do something. Why did I ask you to do that? Yeah. I, I think there's so many thoughts running through my head about this because <laughs> they're architects bill money for their time. And there are so, you know, and I'm coming at this from a larger firm perspective, medium sized, large firm perspective where there are standards in place for a lot of things that nobody knows about because everybody sucks at capturing that knowledge and putting it somewhere where somebody can easily find it. So we're kind of constantly reinventing the wheel anyways. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of margin built into the time that we spend the quote unquote time that we spend on projects. And so like, I get it, especially with younger folks who don't know the ropes and haven't done this building type before, or haven't done that construction type before, or haven't used Revit the way that the office uses Revit before they use it the way that they learned it themselves off YouTube or whatever. And so there is a lot of kind of quote unquote time wasted on projects that it are is totally fine. And yet like we're always scrambling to meet the deadlines and we're always squeezing our fees even harder. And we're always trying to spend less and less time on projects. And so there's this huge tug of war kind of going on. And there's, what's funny is like the stuff that Rob is talking about in his email, like I think about programmers and there's this great website out there called stack overflow. And it's where it's like a global community of people who have solved problems and put the answers in one place for everybody to use. They're really good at sharing this kind of information. I don't know that we have that for architecture, right? So I don't even think firms have that for themselves. I know you guys have the square. You mentioned it in the last episode of your kind of intranet. And that's, I'm sure that it either is or could be a repository for a lot of this kind of stuff. But is it the kind of place people even go to look for answers? You know, like that. That's this is where things just get, it's such a weird, weird thing. Well, so we so we have a we have a group called the Technical Excellence Group, which is both an email list as well as a place on the square for people to go to. And at the very least, if they go to that, then there's a link for them to like click on the email and and basically send their you know their question off into the ether and it comes to, you know, like more senior folks like myself and a bunch of, you know, very talented, very smart um senior PMs, senior PAs, um, to, to kind of help them through and guide them through. But it, it's also the place where we do have our office standards for, you know, like basic templates, family, you know, w- where we keep families if needed, because we don't obviously throw all of the families that we have into, you know, our template. We just, you know, put them in as needed. They've been, you know, kind of like cleaned, reviewed, audited, and and all of that other stuff so that, you know, you're not like bringing in any viruses, but diverging right now. And, but so we do have that, but I, I think, I feel like some of the best ways to learn that is just through the conversation, engaging people and 
I, I find that there is still, it was prevalent when we were kids, but it was just, it was prevalent that people don't feel comfortable asking because they, they don't feel comfortable. And let me just use my, you know, me as an example. I, I hated not knowing something, but I also hated the impression that other people or, you know, would look upon me as, man, he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to do that. How does he not know how to do that? And then I, but as I'm an imposter, like, <laughs> well, but as I've grown older in my career, older in my life and a parent and everything else, you know, I realized that you don't know everything. You know, you don't know everything um, immediately off the bat and you need to learn it. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, places like this and YouTube and all of these other things are places for people to feel comfortable with it. And so sometimes, you know, we have a lot of people in our office who will go to Google or YouTube or whatever to really kind of like look up, you know, some of the things that we're asking them to do and they'll get it to a point and then they'll come to us and go from there. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures, but you struggle with choosing the systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by an acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to our conversation. You know, we had a similar group and our our group on the internet, on the intranet was called The Source. And it was supposed to be like the source for questions and answers in, the, in a technical manner. And it was also kind of staffed by or the hope that it would be staffed by the senior PAs in the firm because they're the ones who touched a lot of projects and they've solved a lot of problems over their career. and they would not engage. They would not spend the, because again, like one of the other competing things here is every project that you're working on is competing for your time. 
And so I'm just wondering, like you, you said, you're on you're you're on the group in your office. How do you set aside time to go in and answer those questions? And are you doing it in a timely way? Do you see it actually working? Are people getting answers? Because I, I totally agree. Like the fastest way to get the answers you're looking for is to ask somebody. And if they don't know, they probably know who does know because they've either been in the firm for a long time or they've, they know somebody who's attempted to solve a similar problem in a similar way. There's always kind of the Hail Mary of, of Google or whatever, but the pre Hail Mary, the first Hail Mary is sending an email to the whole office and saying, Hey, does anybody have any experience with this? But, but that, those are kind of last resorts, right? I, I think, I think the first re- the thing to do first is to ask somebody and that could be on the internet or it could be a personal conversation. The problem with it being a personal conversation is the information never goes anywhere beyond that, that conversation. And so like, this is why I say we kind of suck at knowledge capture, even if the, the answers do exist. People do have them. They do transfer that information through mentorship and through these kinds of opportunities that you're talking about. But then it doesn't go anywhere beyond that. And I feel like, what do we do about this, man? Because like in Rob's example, he's like, people basically assume you are going to Google it first. And there are great tutorials out there for everything that's ever been done. But is it the way that your office uses it? Is it using the standard naming conventions and the the vetted Revit families and the assemblies that we use because these are the ones that our contracts, our QA will actually support? Man, there's it's so it's so complex. It's uh, it's a tricky thing. But I I would prefer that somebody didn't Google it first because I feel like man, you you're just you could get any answer and just assume it's right because it's on the internet and it could be completely wrong from what you actually need to do based on what your office does. I mean, it's complicated. I think that there's, there's so many ways people could approach and, and everybody in an office, especially in a large office is actually going to approach it differently. There's, there's different, you know, there's extroverts, there's introverts, there's, people who do feel like imposters. There's people who feel like uh, there's no stupid question. There's bosses who are all over the spectrum, right? Supervisors and uh, teammates who are, are the types who will expect you to try to figure it out on your own. And then there's also the ones who are like, why didn't you ask me? Because I could have told you in two minutes and you took two hours to figure this out. It's complicated. There is no easy answer here, but I do, I do feel like when it comes to architecture, again, we're, we're bad at capturing and tagging this knowledge. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. It's a heavy lift for any firm to try to do this. So I'm not quite sure what the, the answer is, but I do really think that it is about just kind of finding the right people that you can ask the questions who you build trust in a relationship with over time. And they're just kind of on call for you. And it doesn't mean you're bugging them all the time, but but they are the ones that you go to first when you're looking for an answer. Well, you know, we've talked about this in the past, um, spe- specifically regarding like the research and development phase of an architecture that just doesn't exist. And and part of that research and development is the development of knowledge in, especially when you're just coming into a profession that you don't know it from scooping ice cream, and there needs to be, but unfortunately, and especially now with the way that everybody needs 
staff. And so everybody that I talk to are so understaffed and so overworked and, and don't have the people to, you know, to help them out. So this phase stage or whatever we want to call it of trying to develop the young professional skills and, you know, mentoring them and showing them and letting them use a project, you know, a real time project to try a trial and error a couple times, you know, just doesn't exist because we don't have the time for them to like fail. And so when you sit around and you talk to people, it's just like, Oh, it's time for staffing. You know, Hey, uh, this person needs uh, something to do. And they're like, well, how much experience do they have? Oh, well, they're just out of school. I'm like, well, I, I'm like swamped, but I don't want them. You know, yeah, it's just totally. That's a very real thing. Yeah. Very real thing. Right. Very, very real thing. And and that's the thing that just really pains me a lot of times. And and, and I apologize a lot in uh to like young staff when we're on a project and I'm kind of like pushing and pushing and pushing them. And sometimes I, I was like, look, I never want to feel, I never want you to feel like I'm giving up on you. But sometimes if I can't get to you, it's just because of the demands that everything they're going on. And I feel bad when I'm not able to like, you know, yeah, totally. get, get them the help and the knowledge seeking that they're, you know, just the development that they're looking for. You know, I, I feel really bad when I'm not able to do that because that to me is in a way, far more important than, you know, meeting a deadline, because at the end of the day, we'll be able to meet more deadlines when that person is knowledged up. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about like the, the medium to large size firms. I really feel like this is where there needs to be somebody dedicated. It's kind of like that piece of junk, uh, it help desk for it questions. Right. But you need, you need that for architecture. You need that for the business of architecture. You need it for detailing. You need it for code. You need it for all of those things. And you need dedicated people who sit at the freaking terminal and just field those questions and get people connected or get them answers all day long, every day. And that is an investment that the firm's have to make if you seriously want to cut the amount of time people are spending looking on what I call the black hole of Google for how to do something, right? Like that is what you actually have to invest in to do that. And the flip side of the coin is, man, I feel for those really small firms because I've, and we've all experienced this at one time or another, you've either been the giver or the receiver of this, of this kind of an interaction, but it's like, how the hell do you not know how to do this, right? And it's like, I've definitely seen architects venting or heard them venting directly over the phone or in person about, I can't believe somebody graduated school and doesn't know how to do this quote unquote simple thing. I see that all the time. And and that's usually like, especially in the small firms, like you can't dedicate all of your time to just fielding the questions right? You have to run the business. You have to meet the clients. You have to do the presentations. You have to collect the money. You have to do the invoicing. You like there's, you have to go to the plan review. Like you've got to do all of those things. And so the answer is some global repository of great information, but that we all know that that doesn't really exist. Because then, you know, the alternative is, you know, them going to that black hole of Google in larger firms medium-sized, larger firms do have the luxury of being able to 
have people, especially in like the the lean times when you know you you want to keep staff on, but you you may not have that. And, and we've we've done that in the past, where or we've dedicated certain people, just like you guys uh, had in your past firm, where you know you have dedicated people who are there to essentially help facilitate you know, the digital side of practice or developing um, details or at least, you know, like populating like, you know, good details and all that other stuff as a way to create a basis of design or, you know, some kind of like, you know, here, you know, your, your project is similar to this. Look at that and see how you can change it or modify that a little bit, but using the rules that are in this, you know, detail here. How, however you want to explain it. I mean, the medium and larger firms do have that luxury of being able to do that where smaller firms and sole practitioners don't really have, you know, that opportunity. And so a lot of times when you're working for a smaller firm and you are asked to do something, uh, I, that was, you know, going back to my you know, first, I don't know, maybe not the first day on the job, but let's just say the first week on the job when I was asked to do some detailing of an EVE condition. And I, I had to remind myself, what, what's an EVE? <laughs> didn't necessarily have to remind myself, but but just, you know, me, you know, those are things that we didn't do. I mean, we didn't do a lot of like EVE detailing and things like that. I mean, I you know, the, the firm that I had interned with, it was all flat roofs. So, you know, ask me how to do a parapet, ask me how to do a flat roof. You know, those were things that I did learn how to do, but now ask me how to do a pitched roof. I literally, I struggled, you know, my, my first week I was struggling with, it was like, how do I detail a a pitched roof? Like, and, and it was just, you know, I mean, he, he wanted me to kind of like struggle, but the one thing that was kind of interesting, he didn't want me to struggle as like, you know, like, and I don't have time for you kind of thing. It was just like, see what, you, you know, let me see what you can do. Let me see what you can come up with. And, you know, from there and, you know, and so I basically just went back to good old architectural graphic standards Yeah, and right. worked through that and then just try to There's modify the repository it I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about that right there. I mean, it's way more complicated than that. Right. But <laughs> that's the idea. Well, let me ask you a question. Does that even exist anymore? That's what I'm saying. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. If it does, I want to know what it is. I want to know what it is. Like, I know there's different. The, the other issue here is that no one firm can do this for everybody. It, it has to be somebody removed who is working on the profession. Like this seriously should be an AIA type of a thing. And not that they're the best to do it, because I think a bunch of people who work at the AIA are not architects, right? But they're, they're association type people. But you've got to have the place that cares about everybody at all levels and all project types and all market segments and all regions and climate zones, and like because it, it is that nuanced, right? But there, when you're talking about a California architect doing a project in Colorado, like that, that matters, right? If you're talking about a Maryland architect doing a project in Missouri, like those are it's different. You can't just apply the same information everywhere. And so architecture, capital A architecture, the profession does not have this. I don't think that they do like, like we used to with the graphic standards in that we all know it was too limited, right? It, it's, it's, it's kind of foundational and it, it points in the right direction, but it's not the kind of, 
it just doesn't go far enough, nor could it. It would be an entire encyclopedia, you know, a, a shelf full of graphic standards. It, and obviously the internet could solve this, but, but again, nobody has the time or the money to invest and nor could they do this for everybody. It's just that I, I just don't see that happening. So I'm not sure what the answer is, but, but it is interesting to think of how far behind our profession is because there are other professions who do this extremely well. Well, I will say that I am on graphicstandards.com and it is the Wiley Publishing Architectural Graphic Standards, the ones that we know and love. It, there is an annual membership or annual subscription fee of $139 or $14.95 monthly. And it has AIA endorsed uh, assets, downloadable CAD drawings, um, and then unlimited access to uh, all the different content that you would find in the 12th edition of the Architectural Graphic Standards. So, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's also just another place to get stuff right like and it doesn't have everything yeah i mean that it doesn't stop the silver bullet that everybody wants well so so that's the thing is just like okay so let me go back to that eve condition um situation that i was dealing with so i went to architectural graphic standards you know looked at what i could look there then i went to um the manufacturer and tried to find some details for because it was a metal roof you know, metal, you know, the metal roof that I would, that we were going to specify looking at some of the details there. Then I looked at, you know, went and looked at, you know, some simple detailing from, so that was like architectural graphic standards, then the Swedes catalogs, then it was SMACNA, um, you know, the, um, the sheet metal, um, industries, uh, detail, uh, book. I'm sure you know it and I'm why I'm blanking on the actual, uh, full name of what SMECNA stands for. But anyway, um, yeah. So, but I mean, but, it, but I mean, you know, and I took all of that and I kind of like weaved it together to something that, you know, sort of worked. And to be quite honest with you, I actually did a pretty good job and there was just some um, waterproofing uh, things that he went over with me to kind of like show me how to basically, you know, make it far more waterproof than apparently the sponge that I drew the, you know, the overall like shell of everything was good to go, but it was just so, but, you know, I mean, I I had him at least explain to me the resources that I could go and check trusted resources that, you know, he's used as tried and true methods of, you know, trying to work through all of those details. Whereas right now, I mean, we don't sit down with anybody and talk to them about where are the tried and true resources to go out there, whether it's somebody within the office or it's certain manuals or it's this repository on our, you know, the details and stuff that we've used on other projects in the past and things like that. But, you know, these are the things that people are like struggling to find, you know, where that is, you know, and so go back, go back to like his, his letter you know, his, his letter's basically talking about this rite of passage. You know, it's just like the, the suffering or the berating and all of this other stuff is this rite of passage. And, and you know, I, I used to joke of just like, uh, you know, you're new on the project. You're going to be doing toilet room plans. 
I would rarely ever make anybody do toilet room plans unless I really actually needed people to do them. Um, other than that, it was like, I want you to sit down next to me and let's start working through some things together. I want you to learn and be able to contribute pretty quickly to all of right. this. Um, right. You know, and, and it's just, I, I don't, I don't believe in that practice, you know, that, and trust me, yeah, I mean, toilet room plans I've drawn in my lifetime uh, because that was what, too many, because that was the rite of passage. Yeah, I know. Paying your dues, right? I don't believe in the pay. I mean, I believe in knowledge sharing. It's not paying your dues anymore. I mean, we don't have the time. I mean, it's just ridiculous now. Yeah. Well, pick up the phone and call somebody. It's it's that hazing. Ooh, you're new. Hey, haha. You know, I mean, we used yeah, to uh, terrible in the army. Oh my gosh, hazing the new guy was uh, you know was merciless. Go to the command tent and ask them for a box of grid squares. You know, I don't, uh, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> neither today, neither today, because it doesn't exist. I mean, grid, oh. grid squares, grid squares are like you know the grid on the map, or you know, hey, uh, go see the first sergeant and ask him for a TRWE device. <laughs> you just like, you know, if you slow down a minute, you're like, I'm looking for a TRWE device. And he would lay it to you. And then, of course, when you came back, you were like, ha ha, funny, it's a tree. And then, you know, everybody's, of course, rolling all over the place. And, and you know, toilet room plants were that kind of like TRWE device kind of uh, mentality. It's just like, well, I'm going to get you. You're going to be doing RCPs, and toilet room plans, and door schedules, and all the crap that I don't want to do. Yeah, right. Well, what's the answer? I mean, man, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm I'm glad that Robert, I'm glad that Rob shared his perspective coming from another industry, um, because you know, other industry, there are some other industries who do have it figured out a lot better than we do, um, and I hope that we can pull from those other models because we definitely don't know everything, right? We can use the great stuff from the other industries, the adjacent industries and apply them to what we're doing. And, and I, I hope that we can, we can pull together and do something like that. But, uh, but anyway, that that's, I don't even know where we go from here. It's kind of a, it's kind of a disillusioning. Well, the good thing is, is that and we've talked about this because we see this big, I don't know if it's the good thing or bad thing or whatever the thing is, but, you know, we see this gap, um, this lack of knowledge sharing and everything in our profession, you know, and we can use whatever excuse that we have of why we don't do it to the best of our abilities. But there are people out there who are either frustrated architects who left the profession to try to, you know, want to stay in the profession and maybe help grow but I mean, you know, if I haven't learned one thing from your Troxel podcast is, is that there are a lot of people out there that are helping our industry to fill in the blanks for all of the things that we've left undone. If we're not going to do it, somebody else will. And we're going to have to just take what we get because we, we didn't do it. And, and so it's either we realize that you know we need to take an active role in positive change and you know this you know this positive knowledge sharing and things like that which i do really think that 
if used to its fullest extent, our square or your internet or the source or all of these other things, if they're really used to full extent, you know, could be a good start for that. But I also see that, you know, the AIA could take a great lead in doing something like that, that it's not just knowledge sharing firm just for each individual firm, but something profession wide. You know, something that truly does improve the knowledge share of the profession. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know they, they attempt to do that with things like the, the knowledge communities that exist out there. I can't remember how many of them are there, but there, there's a good number of them. And But they're still kind of like forum-based, right? So you could definitely search that information, but it's not kind of organized in a way that is makes it easy to look things up. So. I, I do think that even there, there's room to modernize the, the system and, and make it a lot easier to find the information that we're looking for. Yeah, yes, I agree. Well, thanks, Rob, for sending in your comment. We, we appreciate it. It gave us something else to talk about for sure. And I think this is a, a problem that the industry needs to figure out how to tackle. And, and I, I mean, you mentioned my other podcast. There are a lot of people on there too trying to do that, just like you said. And I'm trying to do that with, with the work that we're doing at Tech, and it's, I say we, I, I left working in the profession to work on the profession because I do honestly believe that it takes kind of a third party, not a single firm, to be able to have this kind of impact at these larger scales that that affect our whole industry. So that's what we're trying to do there as well. Anyway, until next time, man. Yeah. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out. And don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.